Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the CSIS Energy and National Security Program. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, our guest is Francisco Minaldi, fellow in the Latin American Energy Policy at Rice University. Dr. Minaldi is a leading expert on the economics and geopolitics of the oil sector in Latin America. He was at CSIS for an event assessing the impacts of sanctions on Venezuela, hosted by our colleagues in the Americas program. I encourage you to go watch that event as well. He was joined by my colleague, Andrew Stanley, an associate fellow here in the Energy Program who follows oil markets. They discussed how sanctions are impacting the Venezuelan oil sector and the short-term outlook for oil exports from Venezuela. They also discussed the U.S. interests in the region and how much leverage the United States may or may not have to achieve its goals. Let's turn it over to Andrew. So, Francisco, thank you for joining us on um, Energy 360 today uh, to talk about the crisis in Venezuela and uh, its oil industry. So it's been about 10 months now since the U.S. administration announced a sweeping set of targeted sanctions on PDVSA and the oil industry. Uh, can you just walk us through where we currently stand in that course of actions and what has been the net effect of these sanctions so far on the oil industry? Sure. Thank you for the invitation. So, I mean, it's important to notice that even before the sanctions, the Venezuela oil industry, of course, was collapsing. You know, during uh, Hugo Chavez's term uh, and Maduro, it, it started at 3.4 million barrels of production. And by the day, by the sort of the month before sanctions were implemented, the production was at 1.3. So they, they already had a massive collapse of 2.1 million barrels uh, that w- was sort of unrelated to sanctions or minimally related to the financial sanctions that were implemented before. And uh, in addition to that, you have to think that the counterfactual should have been a very significant increase in oil production during the oil boom period. Um, and given the fact that Venezuela has this uh, amazing resource base uh, and uh, OPEC countries, except, uh, with the exception of Venezuela, increased production in this period 40%, whereas Venezuela, uh, you know, production has collapsed uh, um, to the levels that it has. So uh, sanctions starting in January have had a significant effect First, because half a million barrels that were exported to the U.S. market uh, could not be exported anymore. Uh, then, you know, the, the U.S. exported to Venezuela uh, refined products that were used as diluent for the extra heavy oil of, uh, uh, that Venezuela re-exported and by, for the Venezuelan domestic market. And so now those have to be imported from Russia and Europe or you know, uh, 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 Africa, and that is much more uh, costly. As a result... Production has declined uh, to about half of what it was at the last uh, at the end of last year to about 650,000 barrels, and more recently there seems to be a, a difficulty in actually selling the oil. So Venezuela is accumulating these massive inventories, uh, both uh, inland and also in tankers uh, floating, and 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 that seems to point that it, it is not uh, uh, anymore an issue about just production, but it's just that uh, companies are afraid because of U.S. secondary sanction enforcement of selling that oil. And as a result, you know, the, they are unwilling. And, and uh, so we have to see if that will lead to eventually, uh, you know, a further decline in production. Yeah. And so right now where things stand, we've kind of seen China back away. Uh, some of the Chinese companies have, have directly backed away and stopped taking of taking Venezuelan crude. But on the other hand, now we've seen Reliance Industries in India has, has said that they're going to start lifting some crude directly from Venezuela again, and I, some of the some of the um, 
the statements that we put out have basically said that they've they believe this is not violating current US sanctions because they're essentially swap agreements where they're providing diesel in return for crude. How do you do you see this as a viable strategy? Do you think India's gonna reliance is gonna continue along with this? Or do you think um is this leaving the door open for further US action to try and clamp down on these continuing activities? Um and then the the I suppose the other the other one is Russia, really, as well. Rosneft. What have Rosneft been doing? Have they backed away in any regard, or are they just continuing to to trade Venezuelan crude? Let me start on the last part. Actually, Russia has been doubling down in terms of helping. You know, PDVSA. Uh, they have taken advantage of a uh, of a situation that, of course, is difficult for PDVSA to become the marketeer of Venezuelan oil. Uh, about two-thirds of Venezuelan oil is currently marketed by uh, Rovneft and mostly to Asia, you know, India, uh, China, Malaysia, uh, Singapore. And, uh, um, of course, that has tremendous advantage for them. First, because, you know, they, they, they charge, of course, for, for that service and they are making some money on it. Uh, and a country that is in such a difficult situation as Venezuela is not, you know, in the capacity of charging uh uh, too much for their oil. Second, um, they uh, uh, get paid on their debt. They 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 had a, an outstanding debt of a, more than two billion dollars uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, by the end of this year, I think that it will get to zero because they are using part of that um, uh, of, of the revenue to debt. In part, in, in in fact, that's partly the argument that they have advance, you know, with the U.S. Treasury, this is not uh, violating sanctions because we are not getting any cash back to the Venezuelan government. Or it's, e- it's either swap, like the Reliance kind of uh, uh, exchange of uh, refined products for, for oil, or it's uh, uh, paying a debt. So one major issue is what would happen after this get paid is, uh, uh, debt is paid off and, and Roughness has to decide how they will act. And of course, the U.S. also, how they enforce or not uh, more the sanctions. As you said, China, CNPC, which is the key actor, you know, the key player in Venezuela, has decided not to lift any uh, Venezuelan uh, oil for now, at least, uh, um, because they don't want to, you know, uh, get sanctioned. And uh, Sinopec, for example, that is not, uh, you know, uh, necessarily a, 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 a a significant player in in lifting Venezuelan oil, but they have decided not to hire uh, uh, ships that that have uh, tankers that have before uh, stopped on Venezuelan ports, as other major companies are doing. So that has an effect on on that market, and of course, the tears even further both uh, uh, shipping companies and buyers, uh, you know, to continue dealing. Uh, with Venezuela. It's still unclear because of the example that you mentioned about Reliance. I think they are testing if that is uh, something that is viable. It, it is, uh, I mean, these are typically very profitable transactions, right? Because Venezuela is such a dire situation that you can get a really good deal. Uh, but but it, it's unclear to me, you know, how the enforcement of, of, of these uh, uh, sanctions uh, will deter some of these behavior and these activities or not. Uh, India had gone almost to zero imports, and now it seems to be coming back a little bit, not to the levels that they had before, but but somehow. And so, if you lose, if you lose India, you lose China, you lose Russia. How where, where do you see rock bottom going? If you know the the domestic refining industry has been destroyed as well, they're supposed to be at about fifty thousand barrels a day currently. Um, do you think there's a scenario here where we could just end up going towards zero and there's still no political transi- uh, transition. 
I think it's unlikely, but as you point out, it totally depends on what Russia and China decide to do. And of course, to some extent, India, but particularly Russia and China. Why, why Russia and China? Because Rovneft is the one you know, helping them. And if they uh, become afraid or, or, uh, or decide that it's not in their interest to continue doing this, it will be extremely hard for PDVSA to export uh, uh, much oil. As you point out, it's extremely hard for them to refine almost, I mean, the, 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 the little oil that they are refining, most of it they use in the domestic market, which has totally collapsed, but still, you know, there is some consumption. In fact, they are importing refined products for the domestic market. Uh, and China, uh, of course, uh, another actor that has interest in Venezuela to continue to produce because they, they in, uh, in contrast to Russia, their debt has not been already paid. They still have a, about an outstanding 15 to $16 billion uh, debt. Uh, so I think it will, again, depend a lot on the calculation that they make uh, about, uh, you know, what the U.S. might do or, or uh, don't do. And, um, you know, the, the, the question is also on the U.S. side. How much do you want to enforce? Do you want to get to zero? Uh, you know, from the perspective of the, uh, of the, of the U.S. government, the, the, one of the issues is reconstructing the Venezuelan oil industry after production collapses so far. It will be much harder because, you know, the type of oil and the type of uh, oil fields that Venezuela have, uh, you know, once you shut off production and you shut wells, uh, uh, it, it to reactivate production, it's it's very costly. It's, it, it, in some cases, almost that as you have to start again. Uh, um, uh, so it's not like, you know, some of the Middle Eastern fields that you can put uh, online and, and, and off uh, with a relatively low cost in terms of future production. So that's a consideration that the U.S. government uh, in its uh, uh, objective of reconstructing Venezuela after a transition has to think about. Okay, and so, so how much more leverage does the U.S. have here then to to try and bring about some kind of political transi- transition on the sanction side, on, uh, on the oil industry sanction side? You know, the August 5th um, executive order by the Trump administration, uh, the economic embargo that they implemented is nearly at secondary sanctions based on what you already talked about, the reaction from the Chinese companies to back away and how careful Rush has been and Reliance Industries about, you know, how they frame these transactions. Is there, do you see another kind of step up here? Um, you know, the, the other part of it is that they've decided to extend General License 8, which gives permission for US companies to, to remain in Venezuela and operate there. Do you think that sends any kind of signaling or what was the rationale behind that decision to to continue to allow U.S. companies to operate? Sure. So it goes back to, to, the, to the question that, that uh, we were discussing before in the sense that the, the U.S. has to balance here two things, right? One is uh, how much pre- additional pressure you want to put on the regime. Uh, they, they got the regime to at least start negotiations, but they haven't been you know, successful in, in getting to any result. Um, and so one, you know, objective would be let's get, you know, down this to, to this cash flow to, to zero. They still will have other, you know, illegal activities and things that are black market kind of activities that are hard to, um, uh, to control. Uh, but uh, again, at the expense, of, well, at two, two, two potential costs, right? One is the, the humanitarian cost that even though it's not, it's unclear how much of the money, you know, benefits if, you know, if there is any. Uh, cash flow flowing to the Maduro regime. How much does it? How much does it benefit the population? Uh, but you know, but clearly there could be a, 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 a humanitarian effect that could lead to additional, you know, 
uh, emigration and destabilization of the region. And, and secondly, if you're thinking ahead uh, in the future about the recovery of the oil sector, you know, you have to think uh, uh, about that. And that's how I, uh, I think the, the, the U.S. has to, you know, uh, decide if, if they have some room for additional, you know, uh, and f- tight, tightening of, of sanctions, uh, uh, very aggressive secondary enforcement, for example. But, you know, would they want to do it or would they want to think about other options by which, you know, some beneficial uh, things happen, like maybe, you know, some humanitarian aid co- comes in in exchange for some oil or some debts are, are repaid. With respect to the, uh, the, the renewal of the um, uh, license to operate by the Chevron and other four service companies. Um, I think this is a pragmatic, I mean, it seems to be a compromise between two sides in the U.S. government because it's a very short extension of 90 days again. Um, so it seems that, you know, there are some that want, you know, maximum uh, pressure and uh, do not seem to be thinking that much about the future potential, you know, uh, uh, effects. And then are those who either because of the considerations that I just made or because, you know, they think that uh, if the U.S. companies uh, leave and Western companies leave, what will happen is that the Russians and the Chinese will take over those projects. And so the effects will be minimal in terms of, you know, uh, the desired effect in terms of the production, but also uh, the regime will not, you know, uh, it will not uh, uh, generate any more probability of regime change. I mean, that that might be a consideration that the U.S. said, well, why were we hurting our companies to, to, no, uh, to, to no avail? Uh, but uh, uh, in any case, it's just a three-month thing, and so it will be, again, uh, be a, a matter of, of discussion in the next, uh, in, in the next uh, couple of months. And uh, 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 as, I, as I said, I think the key issue is to balance the, these, these different objectives. So, so in terms of the U.S. strategy and approach, then you, you, you do you kind of see it as a, you know, wait and see approach. Um, you know, they they really hit this hard about ten months ago when they first announced these sanctions. You know, it seemed like there was a lot of movement and possibility for a political transition to happen quickly. But now that we've seen that Maduro has been able to hang in there. Um, and some would argue even able to solidify his grasp even tighter. Um, how, do, how do you see the U.S. strategy moving forward here? Is it kind of have they hit the backburners on it, and it's kind of um, become one of one of the various you know issues in their foreign policy that's not really at the fore any longer? Do you, do do you still still see the U.S. administration really trying to tackle this issue? I, I think they are, but clearly there are plenty of things on their plate that uh, have more impact on national security than than the Venezuela um, uh, issue itself. And of course, the government, the, the Trump administration, is distracted with other political uh, issues. Uh, having said that, I, I think they are frustrated because they seem to think that you know that they could get an outcome in the first semester of this year. And clearly, as you point out, uh, not only that didn't happen, but Maduro seemed to be pretty much. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, believe, at least he believes that he is uh, in a in a in a situation in which he doesn't have to significantly, you know, negotiate. Um, and there are some clearly some pressures from, from segments of the regime. We have seen, for example, the sort of the what we call the oligarchs, the the people you know around the uh, the regime that have made uh, money or some in the military that seem to think. I mean, this is not 
cannot be a permanent situation. Uh, but uh, I don't think that pressure has been enough to to leave to Maduro to to conclude that he you know need to get away and just organize better his. Uh, uh, you know, living w- with uh, without major consequences or or in 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 the in the best uh, uh, of terms. So uh, going f- uh, moving further, I think you know the U.S. still has a lot potential things to do, in particular in cooperation with other uh, countries. You know, Europe has has done very limit uh, has been very limited what they have done in in terms of sanctioning. Um, uh, other Latin American countries that are allies of the U.S. in this endeavor have also been very hesitant to uh, impose sanctions. And one type of sanction that seemed to have been relatively effective in putting these guys uh, in the ne- to the negotiation table has been the individual sanctions to you know military officers and uh, again cronies around the the regime these people seem to be very very eager to get that change and that could be an option particularly if you know european countries and latin american countries also make their life uh, harder so yeah just then domestically how's how's the um how's that playing out currently you know we saw that there was some negotiations going on and then they kind of faltered and then they re-upped them again um and you know how how is Guaido's support currently is there still you know this um strong backing for really within the country to to make something happen I mean Venezuelans are as you would imagine uh, extremely sort of uh, um, disappointed about, about uh, you know the, the 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 situation. People are living with their you know are, the decision is to leave the country in massive numbers. Uh, Why those uh, approval rating has declined, but it's by far by a multiple of four or five times uh, uh, what Maduro has in, in in approval rating. By far the most popular politician in the in in the country. But without a doubt, there has been some uh, uh, decline in his in his popularity over over the last uh, few months as people get you know impatient about the lack of uh, of any uh, any significant movement or or change. I think. Uh, the, the population wants negotiation, but also there is a lot of frustration about, you know, the previous uh, uh, attempts at, at, at negotiation have always been very frustrating because the government seems to play a game in which they just simply use this to buy time. They they seem to think that, that you know, the longer they stay in power, the more the U.S. will forget about it or, you know, the, the, the Trump administration will, will, will be involved in other uh, uh, issues that, that make Venezuela, put Venezuela in the back burner. And to some extent, they are right. And, and, and as a result, you know, uh, that has made uh, sort of less compelling uh, uh, for them to, to negotiate. Also, you know, the, the opposition and the Guaido coalition is not an homogeneous group, and there are also a lot of, you know, differences about how to approach this. Someone, you know, to, you know, f- emphasize negotiations. Some others believe that it's, uh, you know, uh, it's a plot by Maduro to to, uh, to, to postpone, uh, you know, a, a any action. And so that those divisions within the opposition also make it uh, harder for to have a coherent, you know, strategy. So just moving forward then, do you see any uh, points along the road within the next six months or year where any kind of particular events that could lead to some kind of initiation again of really a concerted effort to, to make something happen here or that that, the, that really could move the issue and that we could see some kind of transition? To, like, for example, on the oil industry side, you know, production is down, we're heading down towards half a million barrels a day. Can 
the government really sustain itself with you know production hitting so low if production continues just to decline will the will the government really have revenues to sustain itself or um you know as you said through all the various other illicit activities and the support that they're receiving from russia is it possible for them just to to hang on here indefinitely yeah i mean it's it's hard to say imagine a country that uh used to to produce 3 million barrels of oil and uh, at a much higher price and now it's living with you know, half a million at a much lower price. But on top of that, a lot of it doesn't come back to them because it's to repay debt. So, you know, it's hard to know if the, the marginal additional decline will actually mean, uh, mean much. Uh, by the way, it's not, ex- it, it, we don't have a clear, you know, estimate of how much actually uh, cash flow flows back in terms of, you know, barrels that are actually paid. But I think it's less at this point than, than 250,000 barrels. So, um, you know, a decline in production from, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tiny amount at this point. So, so there, are, there are estimates that the parallel sort of economy that has to do with uh, drug trafficking, you know, uh, illegal mining and the like is generating about $5 billion to $6 billion. There are estimates, for example, the remittances in Venezuela uh, uh, that have, were never relevant are now about $3 billion uh, per year. And that seems to be what is, uh, you know, allowing some, some of the economy to continue to, uh, uh, to, to work and the government to, uh, to survive. So it's hard, it, it's hard to know. Uh, but uh, one uh, important element is what happens if, when the debt of to Rofneth is paid off, if Rofneth decide either to not continue doing what they're doing now and therefore make it very hard for Venezuela to export oil, or on the opposite side, if Rofneth continues to market, you know, uh, a significant amount of barrels outside of Venezuela, now for the first time Venezuela will receive cash flow because before it, it was used to pay uh, uh, mostly uh, roughness. So so that will be, a, on, on the opposite side, a boost to the government in terms of revenue. So it it depends on all these factors, uh, you know, if, if they actually, uh, you know, if, if that is an, an event. The other events that could happen, you know, you, it first, uh, you know, Maduro sometimes uses the timing which he feels when, when he feels that that he has uh, uh, you know that that, uh, to, that 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 is in a strong position or a less uh, you know corner position to sort of push back and, and attempt some uh, um, sort of offensive and one of the things that he has uh, argued that he will do is is uh, do uh, uh, some legislative elections he what he wants to, to try is to remove his big problem, which is the National Assembly legitimately elected in Venezuela. And so he has the cooperation of a a small group of uh, sort of dissidents from the opposition coalition that seem to be negotiating with him that type of election. That is something that could really create, uh, you know, uh, from the perspective of the U.S. and other allies, uh, the perception that this guy not only is not negotiating, uh, but but is you know trying to even destroy the only l- legitimate institution that uh, remains in the country. Yeah, just to jump back then on the Russia point, then how how do you see Russia's interests currently here? You know, commercially they've actually arguably benefited a great deal here. You know, as you said, they're marketing two thirds of the barrels that are coming out of Venezuela. They've gained equity stakes in various projects. Um, and so both commercially and politically, geopolitically, they've benefited here a great deal. Do you see one side outweighing the other? Uh, as, as you said, if it could come to that point um, where Rosneft has all the debt paid down, um, you know, do, 
do we see a, a continuation of this influence? Because geopolitically, it it has given Russia this you know this card in 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 uh, Latin America, very close to the U.S. and and a, a a real core issue that the U.S. is trying to tackle with, um, and that they've been able to kind of you know oppose them. Um, how do you see their interest currently? Is it is it being led by Rosneft purely, or is it coming from top down from the the Russian government? I think this is a fascinating, uh, you know, uh, geopolitical story that has many layers, right? One, and by the way, made made the more the more the more important by the fact that the U.S. Gives, has given priority to Venezuela with respect to other issues is that the Russians now think, oh, this is a card that we can play in the geopolitical game uh, to the U.S. It's not just poking them in the eye, but it could be a trade that we could do with some other priority that we have uh, elsewhere, like like the Ukraine, and they have hinted at that uh, um, uh, a few times. Um, then there are, there is the other layer, which is you know, uh, Mr. Igor Sechin, the the CEO of Rofnet, has played a, a, a very significant role in Venezuela policy because the involvement of his company in in the country, and he has acquired some of the best oil real estate, if you uh, if you wish, uh, both on the extra heavy uh, oil uh, fields, but also in natural gas offshore uh, fields. He has only developed a tiny amount of those uh, resources. In fact, the Russians are not investing a significant amount. But but in in case there is a transition in Venezuela or a, or another way of lifting the sanctions and allowing him to develop those resources or to sell those resources, you know, uh, Rafnet actually will make a lot of uh, uh, of profits. I I I don't see Rafnet interested in staying in Venezuela in the long haul compared to the Chinese who actually have a, you know an interest. Uh, 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 in, in, in the long haul. Then there is the, another layer, which is, I think, the fact that the collapse of Venezuela's production actually has, uh, maybe unintendedly, but, you know, has helped both Russia and OPEC to, you know, not have to do the heavy lifting of, uh, similarly, of course, with the Iranian sanctions. Uh, you know, a lot, most of the pr- production cuts actually have, have been done by these two countries because of uh, sanctions and, and, and their own uh, internal uh, uh, trouble. So for Russia, it's sort of a, a mixed thing, right? Because it, it, they, they, a transition in Venezuela that leads to a significant increase in production, as I said, will benefit Rofneft on, on the one hand by, you know, they will have valuable assets. On the other hand, they will, this will incorporate uh, a producer that has a lot of potential in, in, into the market. And, and finally, you know, the, the, another point with, with Russia that I have heard a lot from Russian specialists is that for President Putin, this is impor- it, it, it's a lot about domestic politics because he has projected this image of a very influential, you know, of playing very, uh, very wisely and smartly his power uh, outside his the borders of Russia and Venezuela is sort of a prime example of an ally that you know that he has uh, uh, developed very close to the U.S. And the problem is, of course, that now if uh, uh, Mr. Guaido or you know. Uh, uh, someone substitutes uh, Maduro that looks as if Russia, you know, uh, um, uh, has been defeated in in the Venezuela uh, game. That is costly for him because he has sold the idea that it, it's not that Venezuela is collapsing because of the bad policies of Maduro. Is is the U.S. sabotaging Venezuela, and therefore any change that you know that goes in that direction so i think for russia a priority is to save face in any transition that, that it doesn't happen in a way that that looks bad for them mm-hmm. 
And so just then China, how do you view, how do you view China um, in Venezuela? You know, they've kind of backed away now. And as you've said, the intentions of going into Venezuela was different from what Russia was. It was, you know, China went in a long time ago based on security of supply concerns. How, what is really the optimal outcome for, for China here? How do they play this out? Yeah, China, uh, exactly. As you point out, China uh, has given loans over the year. It, they, they never had the, t- the full exposure, but loan over the years of more than $60 billion. The maximum exposure, I think it was around half of that. Today, the, the, there is a remaining balance of about 15 in financial debt, but there are also some debt with uh, you know suppliers and, and Chinese uh, um, companies uh, arrears with that. So uh, the, the Chinese have, in, in one sense, a financial interest in sort of uh, getting repaid. Uh, uh, but also, I think the, the Chinese tend to think in very long terms. Uh, uh, and I think this is one of those cases that it's like, uh, seems to be obvious for China that, you know, this is the country with some of the largest hydrocarbon resources in the planet, and they are the largest importer of hydrocarbons in the, in the planet. You know, it seems to be... Uh, uh, you know, a place in which they want to be involved in some way. So the, the, they are, again, like the Russians, they, they are upset that the U.S. is, uh, you know, what they see as an unilateral intervention in, in a country that, you know, it's for an ally of them, etc. Uh, but but they, they, it seems to me that in, in their case, it's much more an issue about, you know, the long-term economic uh, benefit of uh, uh, investing in Venezuela and keeping involved in, in Venezuela. And, and, and that's why you see that they have been much more open to uh, uh, have relations with the Venezuelan opposition, that they have signaled many, many times that it, this is a long-run bet for them and that this is not a, a short-term uh, uh, issue. But as you point out, they very recently got really worried about, about sanctions. It's still unclear if you know if they will eventually decide to to do something because otherwise they will not get paid the debt uh, uh, at least in the in the near term um, but uh, uh, I think they will be very cautiously playing uh, this game in a, in a way that is significantly different uh, from the Russians okay and so just finally then um, just looking ahead uh, the next six months or so what what are really the key issues you see um, to look out for, for people who are following Venezuela and its oil industry. You know, we have the general license aid, which comes up for renewal again at, uh, in 90 days' time. Um, and then you mentioned uh, domestically some of the political elements there um, about what Maduro is up to. Is there any other kind of um, indicators along the next six months that uh, followers should be looking out for? Well, there is something that is happening going to happen in the next few days, which is the the issue about the Venezuela uh, PDVSA twenty twenty bond. You know that that uh, uh, it has Citgo shares as a collateral. As you know, Citgo is the refining arm of PDVSA that is in the U.S. that is controlled by the Guaido. Uh, administ- the Guaido team recognized by the U.S. and and if uh, the default in that particular bond uh, occurs, that's it will, because you know nobody uh, can pay it. I mean, Maduro will, doesn't have incentives to pay it, and and Guaido doesn't have the money or or 
um, uh, or the will of the you know of the National Assembly to pay it, then as a result, you know, if there is a carving of CITGO by creditors, that will be a political disaster for the Guaido team, and I think a big setback for the uh, uh, Trump policy in in Venezuela. So I ha- I think they have all the incentives to for that not to happen, but uh, for they uh, want to be cautious apparently because they don't want to seem that the administration looks as if they are stopping you know the, the the execution of contracts in the in the US so uh, I think in the end uh, there will be some solution that avoids or postpones the, the, the you know the, the the potential execution of this uh, asset uh, but that is another thing to 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 keep in 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 the radar and uh, eventually uh, uh, as I mentioned it's how the uh, secondary sanctions are played off uh, in the in the next few months in, and depending a lot on you know how the US perceives uh, that you know uh, that, that enforcing them more will be you know in the end helpful or not to their ultimate goal which is you know producing uh, political change in in Venezuela thank you francisco for joining us today a pleasure Thanks, Andrew, for hosting this timely discussion on Venezuela. You can find a link in our description to the CSIS event on sanctions and to other analysis on the ongoing crisis in the region. Want to hear more episodes of Energy 360? You can find us at CSIS.org, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy. 